0: listening to look at my records this is episode 206 and i'm your host tom gallo this edition of look at my records features an interview with notable indie rocker hutch harris the former thermals frontman dropped a new solo record back in october a lyrically nihilistic yet melodically sweet collection of 10 punchy tunes titled Suck Up All The Oxygen. The record sees Harris reviving some of the fervor and tenacity of his former band, marking a definite shift in sound and subject matter when compared with the toned-down nature of his 2018 effort, Only Water. During our interview, Hutch and I chatted all about the doom and gloom themes of Suck Up All The Oxygen, his early days in Portland, including his short stint in Elephant Six band, The Minders, how he's handled the transition from being in a touring band to writing and recording music mostly at home, the more collaborative nature of his new project, Clear Rivers, and much more. Plus, Hutch picked some awesome records, including some choice cuts from the Jesus and Mary chain, Colleen Green, Fleetwood Mac, and the Minutemen. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. Alright everyone, I'm here with Hutch Harris, his new album, Suck Up All, The Oxygen is out now, it's available on vinyl via your Bandcamp page, hutchharris.bandcamp.com. Hutch, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, happy new year, crazy yeah. that we made it through 2021, very happy that we're both here to Yeah, to chat with each other. So before we jump into your new record, it's awesome, short, really sweet, catchy, catchy songs. There's not a song there's like two songs over two minutes. Just just how I like my song lengths to be. But before we really get into that, I was mentioning to you uh, before the jump that I really wanted to talk about I guess your early days in Portland. I know you're originally from the Bay Area. You relocated right. to Portland in the late 90s. And just from hearing from other people, too, I remember I interviewed Chris Slusarenko once. He plays in Eyelids. He's based in Portland. Uh, that it seemed like that time period in Portland was a really like fruitful time period for music. Uh, you know, Elliot Smith kind of at his peak. Uh, Sleater Kinney also hitting their stride. Just, like, a whole lot more good stuff happening at that time. Right, so and
1: Chris was in Sprinkler at that time, I think, or maybe they had just ended when we moved here. Yeah. But, you know, And they were on Sub Pop, and, like, Pond was around. uh, Yeah, and, like, I don't know if you know Sean Krogan, but he was doing Junior High, and he had done Cracker Bash. So, yeah, it was. But, like, we moved here in 98, and it's yeah. almost like that scene was kind of, like, Coming to an end and then a new scene was starting up as like, um, you know, Quasi was going. Elliot Smith had had already moved away. Yeah. Um, And then Sleater Kinney had kind of maybe they were moving here in the in the next couple years or so. But yeah, there was definitely a, a turnover that happened like. Around the turn of the century,
0: what brought you to Portland uh, originally?
1: Uh, Kathy and I were both Kathy from the Thermals. She, yeah, we know we're both from San Jose and Sunnyvale, uh, South Bay, California, and we just like already had a bunch of friends uh, that were living up here, and it was also really cheap uh, to live here. So that was kind of the reason. Two reasons. We knew, we knew a lot of friends, a lot of people that were in bands. Uh, you know, people that were like. Just doing home recording and playing shows and living living cheaply, so that sounded good to us.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And something that I mentioned that I recently learned about you was that you were the drummer of the Minders, for you mentioned about a year, which is really cool. I just interviewed this guy that wrote uh, a book on the Elephant Six uh, recording collective. This like really long, detailed book that dives into it, and of course the Minders are mentioned oh, a nice. lot. And I was reading a piece that you wrote uh, when uh, Pete Shelley died uh, that Martin Leeper, the frontman of the Minders, had originally turned you on to the Buzzcocks. So right. how'd you wind up joining the Minders and uh, what was that experience like playing with them?
1: So Martin and I, uh, th- they moved, him and Rebecca moved, they were living in Denver and then they moved to Portland probably in like 99 or 2000. And then I just met Martin. Uh, we just worked together at the same pizza place. Um, so that's how we got to know each other. And then Rebecca was their drummer, but she was, you know, she's also a keyboardist and she wanted to play more. You know, she had a Rhodes that we would tour with. Uh, so they asked me to play drums, but I think I only played drums on like half of the record on Golden Street. Yeah, yeah. Was the record. I'm pretty sure that um i played drums on half of it and then she played drums on the other half and then when we toured i would play you know we would switch off too and i would play guitar half the show and then drum cool so you did
0: get to do a little touring with them
1: yeah not a lot we did tour with elf power if you remember them yeah that's
0: am- that's amazing that must have been yeah amazing. yeah they were great Incredible. and they were
1: all super nice yeah um that was probably just like a couple weeks It was like you know, like Seattle to San Diego, yeah. But that was cool. I mean, I had already done a little touring. Um, Yeah, that lineup of the Minders was really cool because it was Martin and then Joanna uh, Balmy, who was from um, uh, Calamity Jane, and then she started playing with Steve Malkmus not too long after. Uh, that that version of the Minders ended, and so she's been playing in the Jicks for like twenty years or whatever it is. And then Rebecca and then Rebecca went on to do Wild Flag with Janet yeah. Weiss and uh, and Carrie and Mary.
0: That was a great short lived project that I really enjoyed. And I remember Wild Flag yeah. came through to Brooklyn and played at Prospect Park, probably about ten years ago now. And it was a great show.
1: I like when bands do that and you kind of just get together for one record and that's it. I I like that a lot. There should be more of that. So you,
0: on this record and on, you know, More Parts Per Million, the first Thermals record, too, you basically recorded everything yourself. And since you were the the drummer for the Minders as well, what did you play first? Were you a, a songwriter first and then learned how to play drums or were you a drummer and then got into songwriting?
1: I played guitar first. And yeah, I was always about songwriting first. So learning, you know, I had uh, I, w- I was like learning how to use like a four track when I was like 17, 18, 19. Um, and it's just seemed like a natural progression. If, you, if you're interested in writing songs for me to learn how to play drums. Cause then if you had a four track If you just had guitar, drums, and bass, you got all the instruments, you could just do it all yourself. Uh, You could make a record just uh, without anyone else.
0: Yeah, good. Keeping it super simple and easy and convenient. Yeah, for sure. Just you. That's it. So I mentioned that I was going through your band camp, and prior to releasing this most recent record, you shared a record from your band, Urban Legends, Right. And a collection of demos called Old Lost Days. And right. it was cool, really cool to listen to those uh, two uh, albums or, coll- or compilation. Is I guess one is a compilation, the other is an album. Uh-huh. It was cool to listen to them within the context of the first two Thermals records. Because that stuff sounds so much different than, I guess, that collection of demos and the Urban Legends record. I'm curious about how you got from writing songs like what's on the urban legends record and those early demos to the kind of like brash in your face songwriting of the first, uh, two thermals records. Uh,
1: I think a lot of that stuff was, uh, again, like I always would think of bands as like a project more than, uh, this is something, uh, this is the one thing I'm going to do, you know, for years or decades. So a lot of those uh, Urban Legends songs, the styles are kind of all over the place because I didn't feel uh, like I had to stick to one thing. Like a lot of those, the, the songs on those Urban Legends compilations were either singles or a lot. I mean, obviously a lot of it was unreleased, but there's a good amount. There were maybe like four or five of those that were like singles or split singles with other bands. Um and then yeah there's that the Urban Legends LP again is kind of it's not like it's all over the place but the songs are quite different. Um when I started making the Thermals I I I was thinking about it as a project because there was no band it was just me. Yeah. You know just recording songs at home. Um so then I kind of wanted to make a record that sounded like it was one that sounded like it was a band. Uh, even though it was just me, as opposed to it's like sounding like uh, I mean, it is a four-track record, but to me that other Urban Legend stuff it sounds way more like bedroom or 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 more lo-fi. Uh, yeah, with the Thermals, I wanted to be like, let's this isn't a real band, but let's make a record that sounds like it is.
0: And so, when you approached that, did you have like a concept in mind for the Thermals, or were you just sitting down and recording? hey, This is something that sounds different that I want to do.
1: I wanted it to be uh, a punk band. I wanted it to be a mix of like the indie bands, all like all lo fi stuff that I loved, kind of crammed together. So, like, uh, Gaia by Voices and Sebado, uh, were big for me. And yeah. then, but then I also wanted it to sound like the Ramones and the Misfits. Uh, and especially the, uh, yeah, yeah, there was something about the Misfits with a lot of the records i liked or a lot of the songs i liked the recordings were not that good uh it weren't it's not even that they weren't fancy they were just very very lo-fi uh and then of course sky by voices is super lo-fi yeah so kind of like a mixing of those like punk and indie but them all having that kind of lo-fi feeling in common
0: yeah totally it's funny i was talking with uh, this guy, Adam Clare, that wrote the Elephant Six book recently that just came out. And it was funny to think of the distinction in lo fi between a band like Guided by Voices and a band like uh, the Olivia Tremor Control, all recorded to tape, four track, eight track, or whatever. But one record, like, thrives off of, like, say, B Thousand kind of thrives off of those imperfections in the recording and kind of just like rolls with it. Whereas the bands on elephant six and like Olivia tremor control were really going (laughs) to try to make the record sound perfect within the limited means that they they had the limited tracks, right that they had.
1: which is cool like th- that yeah. uh those olivia tremor control records are meticulous yeah They're like really and a lot of i don't know if robert schneider helped them with that or i, I forget if he produced them but i mean the neutral milk Ho- hotel stuff that stuff is lo-fi but it's also very meticulously yeah. assembled and the playing and singing on those records is almost perfect yeah uh which is why the you know, that record like stands up after all these years. But yeah, Guide of My Voices sounds like, Fuck it, we're just gonna record a whole record in one night. But that was so charming can. too. You well know? yeah, we yeah. all love that as well. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure.
0: It was so interesting when, when I was talking with him about that, that kinda just like popped into my head because, you know, the intru- the the first song on B Thousand, you know, it sounds like all fucked up in the beginning. I can't remember off the top of my head. But they're just like, oh, we're just gonna go with it. You know, we're not gonna right, like right. do another take or whatever.
1: Well, and uh, you know, when they, you know, like later '90s or early 2000s, when Guided by Voices start putting out stuff like isolation drills yeah, or yeah. I don't know, do the collapse, which I think those records are cool. Those are good. But lo- yeah, totally. Yeah, but they lost a lot of their a lot of their fans kind of tuned out at that point because it was too it was getting too polished.
0: Yeah. Those are polished records for yeah. sure. I
1: really like Universal Truths and Cycles because I feel like that's the one where it's not, they're starting to polish it a little, but it's not, it's not like over-polished. Yeah, uh, and I feel like record, they,
0: they've kind of, all the new Guided by Voices records that are coming out, they don't sound too polished, but they don't sound that messed up either, the recording. Right, so. you
1: can't ever, you can't go all the way back to the garbage can. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Exactly. (laughs) Um, So just fast forwarding A little bit um, Ending the thermals uh, The band uh, Broke up in 2018 Uh, Mm -hmm. What went into the thought process For that? Did you feel like the band Had kind of run its course uh, And you kind of wanted To be free to explore songwriting Outside of the band Because I found talking to Different bands and artists that You know, once you achieve a certain amount of notoriety, there's sometimes expectations associated with that. And, you know, it could be easy to feel trapped inside of, I guess, what people expect of you with the band. Was there anything like that for you?
1: Uh, It wasn't really about people's expectations as far as I was concerned. I was just feeling that if this didn't stop now or soon... That we, I was just going to do it for my whole life. And it was just going to be the same thing. Uh, I felt like no matter, like I loved being in the thermals and there were so many great things that we got to do, but eventually it felt that no matter what we did, I, I felt like we were just on this straight line Yeah. Um, and that's fine. It could have, it was comfortable and the money was good, but I didn't to me, I was like, I can't just stay at this comfortable, but, uh, not dull, but just like I had just, uh, it's not even that I was bored with it. I just had to do something else. And I did feel trapped, but I didn't feel trapped by anyone else. I felt like I was trapping myself in this, that I was just going to do this same thing my whole life. And even if my life was going to get harder or, or, or not worse, but, uh, You know, if I was going to have to tough it out in different ways and try to find new ways and a new path, uh, I would rather do that than just kind of be comfortable uh, doing the same thing with the thermals.
0: Yeah, and the thermals had such a great run. It's really like a rare and special thing that the band had. Uh, What stands out to you when you reflect on the run that the thermals had? Are there any moments that like immediately come to mind as like that was really cool that we got to do that or meet that person anything like that
1: uh it wasn't about meeting anyone really it's more like just the i mean all the records that we made and all the people we got to work with you know like brendan brendan canty Canty, doing the body the blood the machine and working with chris Walla a ton working with john congleton and john in yellow like to me the most fun times were making were like recording the records and and just like, I like the writing process and recording a lot and just prepping a record to go to the studio. I don't love, uh, touring at yeah. all, but I, I, look back on a lot of the touring we did fondly, like, especially the tours around, uh, the body of the blood. Mark and now we share. can see just cause those were like, it was like all those shows were sold out and we were touring like eight months a year or something, um, but what I really like is just writing and recording, and I've kind of figured out a way right now to just do that. So that's pretty much all I do now, uh, and I like that.
0: That's great. Yeah, how's that adjustment been for you, you know, basically working as a solo artist after being in the thermals for almost 20 years? Especially over the last two years, it seems like you're not in that album tour album cycle anymore right. you're kind of just right you know making your own schedule doing your own thing
1: Yeah, it's great. Um I uh yeah, it's like a, it was a thing when the pandemic came uh, or when lo- the first lockdown came whatever like 2 years ago. I was already just at home every day writing and just starting to to make that record. So really like almost nothing changed for me yeah uh yeah I, I like i like traveling i don't need to like yeah the thing is touring isn't traveling yeah. touring is just being like dragged around a country and then <laughs> you gotta load you gotta load heavy shit every night yeah. um but yes i my favorite thing to do is just to be home uh working on songs and working on recordings so yeah i like that
0: yeah I've noticed you've taken to doing regular live streams, which is cool, gives you an opportunity to connect with fans. Uh, Some artists have kind of like abandoned that at this point though, but for others, it seems to have like really worked and seems to have really worked for you and it's been enjoyable. Uh, What about them made you want to continue doing them, I guess, after the initial phase of the pandemic and what do you enjoy about doing those?
1: Uh, yeah, I hadn't really done any, I had, like, guessed it on some, like, other people's Instagram live shows to, like, play a couple songs, but when I, my record came out in October of last year, and I was like, well, I gotta do something, something to kind of promote this, Yeah. um, and it's not, I'm not gonna book any live shows, um, so I was like, uh, why why don't I do, uh. Since my record came out, I'll play it on Instagram. And then it was also the 15th anniversary of The Body, The Blood, The Machine. And there was still a lot of interest in that. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do a show where I play both of those. I'll play my new record and I'll play The Body, The Blood. And just the response was just super, super good. Uh, and so then I did it again and it was response was great. So now it's just something I do every couple weeks, every That's two weeks. That's
0: awesome. That's great.
1: Yeah, and I like it. And it keeps me just playing more like I'll rehearse those songs every show is 20 songs and a lot of those songs are songs I haven't played in like 15 years or maybe I haven't played them since we recorded them so it keeps me uh, sharp and it keeps me rehearsing which is good
0: what, what was the process like of revisiting those songs from The Body, The Blood, and The, the Machine after all of this time
1: I like yeah, them they're... a lot still I, uh... Great songs. oh thanks dude Thanks man. Yeah, we every record the Thermals did like I really spent a lot of time with the lyrics. Uh and there were a lot of songs that went through like three or four drafts of like whole whole sets, uh, you know, whole versions of lyrics. Uh so it's nice when I go back to those songs. There's very few songs uh that I don't like when I go back to them. I would say like 90 something percent of our songs even like a lot of times, people will request just some kind of odd song or something that I think is, you know, not one of the better songs, and I'll be like, oh, my God, "All right, <laughs> I'll go." <laughs> but then when I a lot of times then I'll get to it and be like, "Oh, then I'll I'll, I'll have like an appreciation for it." Uh, yeah, like I'll 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 like the song a lot more than I thought I did.
0: Yeah, that's cool. It's a great record that really holds up. Oh, thanks, man. Something that really stood out to me about uh, "Suck Up All the Oxygen" is how different it sounds from your last solo record, uh-huh. "Only Water," which right, kind of felt right. more laid back, sonically and lyrically. Uh, this de- this record's definitely more, you know, rocking a little bit more, right. in your face lyrically. What do you attribute that shift to? What was your mindset well, when you uh, made? only water as far as what you wanted that record to sound like uh as compared with the making of this record
1: when the thermals ended and i knew i was gonna make a solo record i the first idea was that i needed to make something really loud and really crazy like something way louder and way crazier than the thermals (laughs) had done just to kind of get people's attention and i was like because to me like solo records aren't just the idea of a solo record isn't that exciting to me like you love a band There was a band I love and someone was like, they made a solo, you know, whatever, the singer made a solo record. I'd be like, okay, I might check it out, depending, maybe if it's like Kim Deal or someone, someone like I really love. Uh, But yeah, the whole idea of a solo record isn't that exciting to me. So I was like, yeah, let's make, we'll make something huge and crazy. And then very quickly, (laughs) it turned into the opposite. I said, if I'm going (laughs) to make a solo record... What I should really do is make something as quiet as I possibly to do and as laid back. And it's hard for me to do laid backs because I'm not laid back. And when I pick up a guitar, it's not laid back. Uh, But yeah, so Only Water, that's about as laid back as I can get. Yeah, and just everything really quiet. There's no cymbals. uh, There's no distorted guitars. There's a little acoustic. It's mostly just clean electric guitar. And I just sang very softly, like in the lowest register that I could. Um, Yeah, so I was when that was done. I was super proud of that. Uh, Going back to it, I was like, "Wow, that's it's so, it's, it's so chill." But that is, but that is what I wanted it to be. And so then after, so for the next for suck of all the oxygen, I was like, "Okay, now I can make something loud and noisy."
0: So was that? For that solo record, Only Water, was that more really, like, deliberate for you, the process, whereas this record is more natural for you? Suck up all the oxygen? It's,
1: I wouldn't say it's, I mean, they're both very deliberate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the good thing about working here at home and just taking months or a year to make a record and, as opposed to going to a studio is that I can just really take all the time I need and figure out, how the record's going to sound and what the record's going to be about um yeah i'm not sure what yeah. i actually default to it's probably somewhere <laughs> in between, between yeah. in between these two records uh cuz it's yeah yeah
0: yeah it's interesting cuz even the covers are so different too only water is like wavy lines that it's just relaxing looking at it and suck up all the oxygen is like fire garbage
1: right shit. it's like back to the thermals <laughs> yeah it looks like it could be like a thermals cover yeah it's just fire and garbage I yeah. mean so that is I defaults definitely more to fire and garbage than it is <laughs> uh, like a you know a peaceful desert
0: <laughs> yeah um the other thing I like is, about this record is yeah it's it's very mo- melodic in a way that you wouldn't expect if you just read the lyrics like it's right it's quite poppy it's a poppy record there's like great like kind of even power poppy solos in a lot of the songs right uh, so i really like appreciated that distinction were, were you like deliberately going for that too kind of like okay the lyrics are basically about you know the world is fucked but i'm ha i'm okay with it and the music reflects that because i can't do anything about it that's kind of what I took away from the
1: record Uh, or it's even like I could do something about it but I don't want to yeah um yeah I knew I knew that all the I wanted all the titles to be statements and negative statements you know like life is overrated or it's not going to be okay uh just because I feel like I know other songs have had you know there's plenty of negative songs out there but overall most songs are trying to put you at ease or tell you that things are going to be okay Uh, But yeah, but I knew, so I knew I wanted the, you know, that kind of negative sentiment. But if you put that with just some like dark brooding music, it's just going to be so depressing. Uh, And the point of this record is to be fun, (laughs) despite, despite everything being terrible. I mean, which was a lot of the, uh, a lot of the Thermals records. It's not it wasn't as obvious but they do have that same kind of yeah. vibe where shit's all fucked up but that doesn't mean we can't have a good time.
0: Totally. Wise wise words. <laughs> so some of the thermal's records as you men- mentioned kind of traversed into fictional elements like now we could see it's written from the perspective of the dead. Right. Uh, at times the body, the blood, the machine kind of alludes to a dystopian future that we were, you know, possibly headed to. Since you you kind of mentioned like every title of this song is, you know, very matter of fact and a statement and the lyrics kind of feel that way too. So was there any element of fiction that you worked into this record at all? Or is this just really like an acknowledgement that, you know, things are really, really bad and there's not much we could do about it?
1: Um, I don't like stress over it too much. Like I didn't sit down and decide is like from what point of view it's supposed to be exactly. It's not yeah. supposed to be me all the time. I mean, these are all thoughts yeah, totally. that I have had. Like the world is garbage. That's something I think. It's not something I think every minute of every day. Like I do think life is overrated, but that doesn't mean I don't like it. Like I like being alive a lot. Yeah. but it is still overrated <laughs> life in general is still overrated uh, so yeah it's not uh, I mean I've the next uh, it's I'm not doing an Instagram show next week but I'm gonna do a bandcamp show and play these two records and even just sitting I hadn't played those songs for like a couple months and I was like oh, these songs are uh, like a bummer because <laughs> if I'm like in a good mood and then I sit down and play those songs, like, oh God, was I really feeling that way? And the thing was I wasn't always feeling that way, but there were times. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I posted the chords and lyrics for that record, and someone sent me their version of Life is Overrated, and I was like, God, that sounds so dark coming from someone else. <laughs> like back to me. Like I had a totally different perspective on it after that. I was like, God, that's really sad. But I know in my heart I'm I'm usually not sad but you get those feelings and a song is a good place to put those feelings.
2: Yeah.
0: That's kind of something that I had thought about too. listening to this record as to whether or not these songs are capturing a, the mindset of a particular moment, you know, cause it is very nihilistic. Many ways concedes that things are really shitty in the world, but I know the last couple of years, things have been pretty bad for a lot of people. So it could be,
1: just be something that
0: is really capturing a particular moment and not like a complete worldview.
1: Yeah. I had actually finished maybe like half the record in like mid 2020 and I was thinking maybe I'll just do an EP because it was a thing where I was like, do we need 10 songs that have this? I had like five or six and I was like, maybe that's enough to have like this sentiment. Uh and I sent it to a friend of mine. Uh, who is a publicist, and she was like, don't put this out now. Like, no one... She's like, (laughs) everyone is... Because this was, like, summer of 2020 or, like, fall of 2020. She's like, everyone is so bummed out right now. I was like, okay, that's a good point. Uh, Let me get... I'll I'll get back to work. I'll make a whole record. I mean, I wasn't going to throw it away. I was like, I'll make a whole record and then wait. And so then I felt... uh, You know, so I finished it, like, a year ago, and then it took... You know, I did vinyl, so it took, whatever, seven or eight months for vinyl, so by the time October came around, you know everyone there hadn't been like this next big swell of the pandemic yet. So it was yeah. kind of it was kind of in a in a place where people were getting optimistic, and so they were kind of ready to hear a pessimistic record. Like the best, uh, I got a lot of like messages from people saying that it that it actually made them feel better. Uh, <laughs> Which made, you know, and I was like, I think it makes me feel better, too. Um, But yeah, there wasn't... uh, A lot of people who would tell me this is a depressing record, but it doesn't, like, depress me. It just kind of helps me to hear someone saying those same things.
0: Yeah, it's almost like it's a little tongue-in-cheek.
1: You know, like a little bit, totally. No, it absolutely is, yeah.
0: So, to, to reference old lost days again, and just kind of put it side by side with suck up all the oxygen lyrically. I thought it was cool to just go through the lyrics and listen to some of the songs on old lost days. And the world is strange, uh, popped out to me because there's a Uh line there that says the world is strange and I'm amazed just to be living. And then the first line on this record is life is fucking overrated (laughs) it's a simple waste of space and time right so it's like 25 years later
1: right i but i still feel both of those things and i probably felt like i probably felt Yeah. yeah it is i mean saying like life is it is strange it's not it's not totally positive
0: yeah
1: i mean i do most days i wake up and i'm like very creative and productive and i do love living um but I still feel when, when I try to write a real positive song, it always sounds insincere to me when I'm hearing it back. Yeah. Um, and I would love uh, to be able to write more just love songs or positive songs, but it really I, I like hate myself when I'm when I'm writing them. Uh, Because I just feel like it's fake. So
0: you made the cover art for this record, too. Was that something you did after you finished the songs? And this was like a representation of what the record is about. As I mentioned earlier, since everybody's listening, it kind of has fire, garbage can, American flag.
1: Sheep Sheep in the foreground. Yeah, I wanted to get the flag in there. There were a couple things that I knew I wanted. I knew I wanted to do, uh, to have something on fire, to have a mix of, like, black and white and color images, just because I love how that looks together. And and we had done that before with thermals. Um, It's just really striking. And uh, I wanted the American flag in there, because we had never, surprisingly, there's no... I don't think there's any thermals art or thermals cover where we ever use the flag. And I kind of wanted to use the flag in the, uh, in the art to let people know, cause there's nothing in the lyrics that would really let people know, like this is about America. And to me, like this is about the U S. Um, but it's not super obvious in the lyrics.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So was there written during probably the end of the, Trump presidency, right? And a lot of bad stuff going on at that time. Were you thinking of yeah. that specifically?
1: It was about half of the songs were written, like, in 2019. Uh, yeah, so a lot of them I had done before the pandemic even started. Um, But it, was, it wasn't... I guess it was about Trump's America. I wasn't thinking... I definitely didn't want, and I had sworn this before, you know, I was sworn this when he was running for president. I was like, I'm not going to make a record yeah. about Trump or about, I you know, I'll make a record about America, but it's not, uh, I wanted to like have it be bigger picture than that. Like, uh, Trump's not president now, but the country is still fucked up Fuck and damn. the world's still fucked up. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't like Trump, but also don't, uh, sit around blaming Trump for most of the problems.
0: Yeah, he didn't create our healthcare system or shit like that. Right. Yeah. Are you itching to play live again, or can you still wait, do you feel like?
1: Yeah, I can wait. I can always <laughs> wait. <laughs> I uh, enjoy Playing shows like a lot, like every time I do it and I get off stage, I'm like, "That was great. I should do that more often." All like the lead up to a show, the planning of a show, all the logistics, just even getting to the show, waiting around for hours at a show, like none I can do without any of that. Um, so even before uh, pandemic, when I would, I would pretty much wait to get like asked to play a show. Like, I wouldn't, uh, I usually don't go out seeking shows. Cool.
0: Yeah, these songs would probably be fun in the live setting, though, it seems like.
1: Yeah, well, then that's another, you know, like it's fun to play acoustic songs, but getting a band together and like it's teaching hard, them. Yeah. And I have a band now, <clears throat> guys I play with, but that's not, it's not those songs. It's not like, it's not the songs that I've written. I have like a band where we just collaborate. Uh, and we're working on a record and maybe that band will play shows. Is but that yeah, the what, Clear yeah.
0: Rivers? Yeah. yeah so so that's called Clear Rivers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, Jordan Hudson, who was the original therm- uh, Thermals drummer. And then our friend Sam. Uh, so we are working on a record here at my house uh, lately.
0: And you mentioned
1: that that's something I think that sounds
0: different than Thermals, this most recent solo record. W- what's that sounding like right now? And, how does that feel writing songs within that project and what they sound like?
1: Yeah, it, it's cool. It's just much more collaborative. It doesn't sound, I mean, it's my voice and my guitar playing on there. But a lot of the songs are, you know, we write all together or one person kind of starts with a, a part and we and we go off that. Um, like when I started playing with Jordan again, like he's such a good drummer, but I didn't want to just like box him in with the style of music, you know, with the style of songs that I write. I didn't want to do just another band that sounded like the Thermals. Yeah. Uh, So a lot of the songs we've written, you know, we'll actually start with the drums and he'll, you know, write a beat or just come up with something and then we will write the songs. Uh, Because if I do a band where I write songs and then bring them to the band, I already have all these preconceived notions of what I want the drums and bass to do and I don't want to be in a band like that where I am just telling people, what to do so was this
0: when's the last time you did collaborative collaborative songwriting like that um was it a while ago well, no
1: like never yeah
0: <laughs> so what's that I'll, i mean it's almost it must never. be a new interesting process for you to be able to kind of i guess vibe with other songwriters and work on a band that you're not relied on as being the principal songwriter
1: Right. So it's less. It, it's stressful in other ways. It's less. Uh, I just don't want to be. You know, I will turn into the taskmaster for any project like this unless someone else has kind of stepped up uh, in that role already. I mean, I've had to, even in this band, like someone has to kind of uh, push the band in some way or push the band to do things. Because um, I'm not. You know, just like, during COVID, we were, you know, we had to take a little break, but then we were back to rehearsing after not that long. And it it was like a thing. Eventually, I was like, we need to, you know, we we couldn't book any shows. I was like, we need to start making a record because I just can't keep practicing indefinitely. (laughs) What are we practicing for? Like, I was like, we have to stop playing these songs. You get to a point where if you don't start doing something, the songs kind of peak and then start getting worse, I think, if you don't put them, you know, if you don't record them. Um, we, we were just kind of in a, you know, playing to a void. There's no, we're just working on our own songs, not playing them for anyone and not recording them. Um, but so now, we a couple of months ago, we did start recording and that that feels great to me because then you're kind of, we're going in some direction with it. There's some progress being made.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. And you mentioned that Jordan, the original drummer of the Thermals, is a drummer of this band, Clear Rivers. How'd you re- reconnect? Were you still friends over the years? And was this your first time like playing together since he uh, left the Thermals?
1: Yeah, we, after we saw playing together in the Thermals, it was definitely a while that we didn't, that we were not friends, probably like five or six years. Yeah. Um, and then. When I moved to the house I'm in now, Jordan was actually my neighbor. He was like 10 blocks from here, and then his friend Sam was a neighbor too. So uh, we reconnected then, maybe like 2011 or so. Uh, yeah, and then just stayed friends, and then he built a—he uh, moved not far from here, but then he built a little studio in his basement, and then he just asked me to come play with him uh, one day. And so— Immediately, we just started working. You know, we just started writing stuff together, and we kind of did that for a while. And eventually, I was like, "We we need to get a bass player in here because this sounds terrible." <laughs> <laughs> the songs were cool, but to me, the sound of uh just drums and guitar with no with no low end is horrible. I remember like when there was like a few times where thermals were practicing and Kathy like couldn't make it. And we'd be like, Oh, we'll just do drums and guitar. And it's just like, it's so shrill. (laughs) Sounds sounds fucking awful. So yeah. and, And then, so Jordan was like, well, my friend Sam plays bass. We really couldn't think of anyone else we knew. Um, and I was, he was like, he's a great player, but all I was thinking was like, is this guy cool? Like, can we, will we like vibe with him? Because to me that's even the more most important thing in a in playing a band is are you gonna get along with this person? Like can you deal with this person (laughs) for hours and days and years at a time? Um because a lot of people can play an instrument, but a lot of people are also just like difficult or no fun to be around. Uh but he is great, and we actually became super good friends. Um and then when you know in the pan when we couldn't like go over to people's houses, the three of us all you know, we would go camping or just like hang out in someone's backyard. So it was like our band went on hiatus for like eight months, or <laughs> but we still uh, we still kept hanging out together. So there must be a good connection there.
0: Very cool. Can't wait to hear stuff released from Clear Rivers. That's super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And now, without further ado, we're gonna play some songs from Hutch's new record. Suck up all the oxygen. We're going to hear the first three songs on the record. Life is overrated. It's not going to be okay. And Garbage
2: World. Life is fucking overrated. It's a simple way.
0: All right, we just heard three tracks from my guest Hutch Harris's brand new record, Suck Up All the Oxygen. We heard Life is Overrated, It's Not Gonna Be Okay, and Garbage World, you can get yourself a copy of Suck Up All the Oxygen on vinyl via hutchharris.bandcamp.com. All right. So, Hutch, you picked some records and we're going to talk about them. Picked some really, really solid songs and albums. Starting off with 10,000 Maniacs. What's the matter here off of In My Tribe? This record kind of their breakthrough record, interesting turning point for the band as I know John Lombardo who was one of their I guess their principal songwriter at the time had like left right before uh, this record came oh, out. Oh, really? Yeah, and I run this um, like I do a lot of tape, live tape digitizing, and uh, so I run this site called the Mackenzie Tapes, and there's this great VHS tape uh, that I digitized of Ten Thousand Maniacs playing at Maxwell's like a week after this album. Came cool, out. super, super cool, um, right? And they sound—they sound great, yeah. In Hoboken, yeah.
1: Whoa, that's crazy yeah. to think about them playing there.
0: Yeah, it's it's wild because then they would go on to play like Bill Clinton's inauguration, like five years later. Wow, <laughs> there's like videos of them like playing that too. It's crazy, but yeah. Tell me a little bit about why you picked this song. This song is great. I think it's the first song on the the record.
1: So I have an uncle who would actually. Uh, turned me on to bands like them. I'm trying to think, like, uh, he he gave me, like, a pulp record. Um, he's just, like, a, he's a very, like, normal dude. Like, he's a lawyer in Connecticut. Uh, but he just, like, always had really good taste in music. And ever since I was a kid, it was, like, something we bonded on. Uh, but he gave me that, he, that 10,000 Maniac CD. And he was like, I think you'll like this. It, which is weird, because I'm trying to think of, I was listening to, like, well, I think this is before Nevermind came out, right? It was probably yeah. like nineteen ninety or eighty-nine. Yeah. So I'm just listening to like stuff like Guns N' Roses and old like classic rock stuff like Led Zeppelin or I, I can't remember like what newer stuff I was, but he gave me that CD and then they were on uh Saturday Night Live Yeah, yeah. For that record. And so that um Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he gave me that C D and then they were on S N L. Uh, That's kind of like a cool time for SNL, too, because they were – you could – it seems like there were a lot of bands that you hadn't heard of. They were almost like breaking bands. Yeah, because being on, like,
0: TV was, like, a big deal (laughs) back then. It still is, but back then it's like, you know, if you had cable, you had, like, 30 channels. So if you're playing on Saturday Night Live, that's like, wow, you know, a lot of people are going to be watching you across the country.
1: And I still think from time to time they'll SNL will do that, but not most of the yeah. time. It's like Billy Eilish. They're not like breaking Billy Eilish. Yeah. You know, they're getting someone who's already like super famous. Um, but yeah, that that ten thousand maniacs that record is great. Uh, what I think Peace Train is on that record yeah. too, right? The Cat Stevens song. Yeah, they do um, the cover
0: of the Cat Stevens song. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, hey, Jack Kerouac, Red song. Right, right, right. Think of your mother. yeah yeah it's just a cool it's it's so uh it's so it's such like an adult record you know it's not very it's not like a hipster record really but there was something really cool about it and about them at that time
0: yeah totally so you mentioned like the late 80s you were listening to you were turned on to this record you're listening to Guns N' Roses and stuff like that when did you find your tastes like starting to to move away from Something like Guns and Roses too, punk rock.
1: It's like the classic story. A friend of mine gave me a cassette yeah, mix that had uh, Minor Threat, um, Misfits, Operation Ivy, maybe a couple Black Flag, a lot of like Bay Area stuff like Sam I Am, uh, a lot of you know like skate stuff like that, uh, maybe like No Effects, uh, Descendants. So yeah, it was really and that's so uh that was probably 15 or 16. And so that just opened up a whole uh new world for me. But then also just at the same time you you just have all those uh indie bands, you know, Nirvana comes out and then all these bands that have been around a while like Sonic Youth or Dinosaur Jr. start getting really big at that time. Like I I was I graduated high school in 93, so that's like all, you know, all, there were all those huge records coming out 90, 91,
0: 92. Yeah, it was so interesting because Nirvana's popularity, Kirk Cobain, like, name checked so many people, too. Right. And, like, you know, playing the Meat right. Puppets on Unplugged and right. shit like that.
1: Wipers. And, you know, and, you know, wipers. Yeah, Wipers. Threats
2: like you don't mind.
0: Next song that you picked, History Lesson Part 2 off of Double Nickels on the Dime by the Minutemen. Such a amazing song that also, I think, kind of sums up their the band's ethos, like, perfectly.
1: Right, and I know, I feel like it's, it's probably the most famous song they did, um, but it's such a good song. And it's a song I've, like, dreamt about. I, like, I remember just waking up one morning and I just, like, dreamt. And it wasn't even, like, about that song. It was just, like, that song was just playing in my head during the dream. Um, it's just such a sweet song. It's, uh, what does he say? Does he say they're corn dogs? He calls Yeah, we were dogs? fucking corn dogs. We, we drank it, Right. Um, yeah, it just sounds so cute and innocent and, uh, and the music is just great. Yeah. It's just like a really, really sweet song. It's, it's so funny
0: too, because this is kind of a more laid back song that would soundtrack a dream almost. And so many of their songs though are like this, you know, manic energy, like crazy, right. crazy fast linear songs. So it's cool that they, they had that. Diversity
1: of sound on this record, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And and he says our band could be your life in that song. Yeah, yeah, it's just like classic.
2: We learned punk rock in Hollywood. Drove up from Pedro. We were fucking corn dogs. We'd go drink and pogo.
0: Next, The Ledge by Fleetwood Mac off of Tusk. Tusk is such a great record because especially on this song, you could hear how Lindsey Buckingham, I think, was really influenced by like punk on on this song. Um, I know he's on the record on record saying he really liked The Clash. Um, and it's such a, like a rowdy song. I love the tingy sounding snare drum.
1: Everything sounds insane on that song. It's so, like, what? Like, I know Tusk is like, they had all the money and the coke in the world after Rumors, but there are, uh, yeah, that song makes me, like, sweat from, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, I feel like you can just feel the drugs that they were on when you listened to that song. It's a crazy
0: fucking song is a crazy yeah i mean it's a
1: weird record overall but especially that song like just everything it sounds like they just ran the whole song just through some insane filter that just makes it sound yeah it just makes it sound so strange yeah i like i don't love tusk it depends on what mood i am like i love a lot of their records but there's some depending on like sometimes i'll listen to it because you remember there was a time maybe like 2005 or six I feel like maybe this is just a Portland thing. All the hipsters, everyone here was like Tusk. Yeah. Tusk was just like the record. You had to have everyone because maybe everyone was like burned out on rumors or <clears throat> they kind of all discovered. I mean, the same way like five or six years ago, all the hipsters were finally allowed themselves to listen to the dead. And then, yeah. you know, they had, everyone had hated the dead. But then all of a sudden, someone said it was cool. Or someone said <laughs> like, you can listen. You're allowed to listen to Terrapin Station or like... Working man's dad. Like, I don't know. The, I don't know how these things happen. But, but Tusk, I definitely remember having its time, uh, you know, and and, and sometimes thinking, uh, wow, this is fucking amazing. And it's so weird. And then sometimes thinking, like, what the fuck? Like, what were they thinking?
0: That That's funny that you mentioned that, because before this, earlier today, I was reading the thing you wrote in Talk House about about uh, Greta Van Fleet and how... Oh, yeah. Kind of the same thing with Led Zeppelin. I remember growing up, you know, being into punk rock and indie rock and stuff, and Led Zeppelin was kind of not cool. But even you had mentioned in the very beginning, Led Zeppelin was criticized for, like, not being good. But I feel like right. even with people I grew up with, you know, being into bands like Pavement and Sebado and stuff like that, it wasn't really cool to like Led Zeppelin. But now... I feel like it is again. Someone just said,
1: like, it's okay. You can like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I don't know how. I, I don't know how that happens. Yeah. But. Well, and now I hear people like bagging on the doors all the time, which yeah. I think is crazy. But it, they we cycle through these. But yeah. I remember I had these. I had a friend who was like such a punk and I didn't see him. You know, someone I knew in the 90s and then like saw him like 2002 or three. He's like, hey, man, I listen to Led Zeppelin now. And like, what? Like, you want some credit. <laughs> I was like, well, good for you. But like, do you remember when you were like trashing them like super hard whenever, you know, when I was listening to them? Yeah. It's, it's, it's so weird. It's such like a herd mentality sometimes with stuff yeah. like that where people just like think or, or they just enjoy. I, I understand it more if the band's current. Like, I don't fully, you know, with the old Greta band fleet thing, like if everyone, people like bagging on them, cause they're around right now and they're annoying, but people, for people like to start just like hating on the Doors, it's like, they're not around. <laughs> I mean, they're not, you know, they're very easy to avoid. Yeah. Uh, you don't need now, you know, to. in like 10 years, yeah. yeah. People will be like, oh, the Doors are great.
0: Yeah, I'm here for it. Cause I got, I have all their records in solid condition. So I'm here for this Doors critical revival. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Next, you picked Birthday by the Sugar Cubes off of Life's Too Good, the world's first introduction to Bjork, and what a great introduction it was.
1: Yeah, what a crazy band. That's another, they were on SNL too. I think I actually just heard them, and I'm pretty sure they did Birthday uh, on SNL. Yeah, those, I think, are there just, there's the three Sugar Cubes records? Yeah. Yeah remember that last one i can't remember the name uh that i think they're all pretty good uh it was a friend of mine we were listening to the cure one time and he was like how does robert smith know when he's finished a vocal take (laughs) like how how does he how does he know like that was the one because they, they seem like It's so, like, all over the place. Like, he's so, like, wild with his delivery. And I feel like her on those, with Bjork on those records, you could say the same thing. Like, it's amazing. But, like, it's so, like, she's such, like, an animal on those records. Like, how would they know? Like, yep, that was the one. Like, she's just (laughs) growling. and uh, But the whole band, I mean, they're so... It's just like a really good band. It's not like it's not like Bjork's cool and she's a star and they kind of have these just like nobody's backing her up. It's like she's great but then they're they're like fucking weirdos too and they're also like the there's a real like talent to that band.
0: Next Highway by Colleen Green off of her brand new album, It's Nice to Be Nice, which I absolutely love. I'm a huge yeah. Colleen Green fan. And it was cool because it she took like a while between uh, releases. The record she put out before this, I think came out like six or seven years ago. Yeah, But she yeah. really, you know, I think it was really worth the wait because I think this record is fantastic and some of the best songwriting she's ever
1: done for sure and the sound too the sound is so good um i'm blanking on his name gordon uh who did those first strokes records yeah um is it gordon Raphael? i think thank you um i remember when i heard she was working with him i was like that is gonna be great that is a great uh that's a great team up there I, i love those strokes records and the sound just like how he makes everything uh he just kind of thins stuff out really well and i think it worked for her sound really well and that record i told her reminds me of, or that song reminds me of 17 second uh
0: yeah that's a good comparison i did not think of that but you're right definitely spot on comparison
1: yeah yeah
0: Junk by Paul McCartney off of his first solo record, McCartney, released in 1970. Beautiful, beautiful song. Something fun that I learned was he first played it live only like 15 years ago. Oh, really? In 2006. He had never played it live before.
1: Did you watch the Beatles thing on Disney?
0: Not yet, but I'm looking forward to watching it.
1: It is great. I've almost finished. The second time (laughs) I watched the whole thing and then I started it again. It's so great. Uh, And so it's got me, of course, listening uh, to their records again, but then also listening to everyone's early solo stuff. And so those, that McCartney record I had loved kind of was into it maybe like 15 years ago or so. Um, And I always, it's weird because I'll always think I like John's stuff better, but when I really sit down with both of their solo I mean they both their solo careers are crazy and kind of I mean Paul's is all over the place um I a lot the a lot of the disco stuff I can't get into yeah. I definitely like Wings a lot better than I used to like that first Wings record is great Yeah uh and I like Ram but I honestly think and I, and I do like All Things Must Pass too but it's so uh, it's so heavy with sound, it's yeah. so overloaded. And I love that the first, for Paul and John, their first solo records, they both did such like underplays, you know, they both did these very, very simple, almost unfinished records. Like there's a lot of stuff on Paul's record that you're like, oh, well that song just came and went, That that was 30 seconds. But then it also will remind me of, like, stuff like Guided by Voices, you know, stuff from, like, late 90s and stuff where you had this kind of collage. Uh, it was okay for a song to just start and then fade out after 30 seconds. That song was
2: over.
0: Last but not least, Deep One Perfect Morning by the Jesus and Mary Chain off of Darklands. Love it. Yeah, totally.
1: That and Psycho Candy are just so, so classic. Really, Darklands, though, I feel like is pretty, pretty perfect. There's something, uh, the noise the the squall and the you know the the squalling feedback and stuff is kind of like turned down a little bit and so it's kind of like a prettier record, um. Yeah, I used to listen to that record. I used to work at Stumptown and get up at like five in the morning, uh, to go to work, and I would put that record on. Yeah, uh, and it just it was always very fitting.
0: Yeah, that is a fitting five a.m. record. It definitely, <laughs> right, right, matches the scenery. The yeah, early sure. twilight, early uh-huh. twilight. Hutch, thank you so much for speaking with me. So cool to get to talk to you. I'm a longtime Thermals fan. And your new record, Suck Up All the Oxygen, is out now. It's available on vinyl via hutchharris.bandcamp.com. Everyone, get yourself a copy. Anything else you have planned for the rest of the year? I know the year just started, but...
1: I think it's going to be exactly the same as the last two years. (laughs) is. Just going to work on songs and uh hopefully make another record here.
0: Cool, that's exciting. Well, can't wait to hear the next one. Suck Up All the Oxygen is awesome. Hutch, thanks so thanks, much Matt.
1: for speaking
0: with me. Cool, thanks Tom. We're going to play one more track from Suck Up All the Oxygen. This is the final track on the record. It's called It Doesn't Matter. The
2: earth is surely burning. It will end us eventually. But it does I